0: Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 1045 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. I say it every night. I'm blessed beyond measure. I hope that you recognize that you are as well. If you don't or, or maybe that made you start to think, well, you know what, maybe I am and I have some questions. My DMs are always wide open at Mart Zone. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Saying I don't want to waste your time. There's a lot to get to. I will talk about Rick Barnes and Tennessee and UCLA in the next segment. But Virginia wins the national championship last night, 85-77 to 77 in an overtime classic. Really, I thought it was a classic. At least the last 35 minutes or so were a classic in this basketball game. The first 10 minutes, well, we did what we do on Twitter. We immediately started talking about the fact that nobody could shoot the basketball and that this thing was going to be won in the 40s, and it wasn't wrong when we did it. I also, you know, I was part of that chorus. I said that we're playing an inadvertent game of 21 right now. And then guys started making shots. Texas Tech got, hit, got hot from three at the end of the first half. Virginia was able to match them enough to still have a lead. Huge shot by Ty Jerome at the end of that first half perfectly designed play and a great pass up to the top. And Jerome buries the three to give Virginia the three-point lead at 32-29 to entering the second half. Jarrett Culver was playing a dreadful game just as he did on Saturday in the national semifinal against Michigan State where he was picked up by his teammates, Mooney in particular. But then Culver came alive, and he came alive because he started getting some easy looks at the bucket because he's got great moves around the rim. Uh, one crossover move where he went to his left instead of his right because he they were cutting off the move to the right, but he went to his left and he was able to just absolutely dominate, and that gave him a little bit of confidence. He started making some shots. The problem was he went 0 for 6 from 3 in the game and only 5 for 22 from the floor, but mainly that was because of how he started. He was also 5 of 6 from the line. This is a well-played game. I thought it probably would be, even if it didn't have the sexy matchup. And you know, we do this in the media and it's a little bit frustrating in that I was thinking about asking this question on my Fox sports radio show on Sunday morning. And that is when you watch sports or maybe even when you watch just celebrities or, or anything else that's going on in entertainment or whatever, are you rooting for people to fail because it's a better story for you or because it might make you feel better about yourself or Just for whatever reason, you're watching for the car crash. I've mentioned this before on this show before, too, is that I'm guilty of that in a lot of ways. That, man, and it's not just because it gives me something to talk about. It's just more interesting to me. I've always been the opposite of the Olympic human interest stories. And I'm trying to kind of get away from that because it's a real negative, pessimistic, cynical way to look at life. And I'm tired of being so negative myself. I'm as guilty of this or more guilty than anybody listening right now. But there's a part of me that's watching that Texas Tech-Virginia game, and eventually I just kind of got off social media for a while because I knew I was just adding to the chorus of people mocking this game with all these guys out there playing their guts out who had earned their way there and deserved better, quite frankly. And so I kind of backed off for a while and then came back in overtime and had a couple of things to say. And as usual, not all of you liked it, but that's fine. Never a prerequisite to agree with me. But Virginia and Texas Tech left it all out on the line. You knew it was going to be, be a defensive game. It's the two best defensive teams in the country. Chris Beard's defense, I think, is better than Virginia's just in how awkward it's played and how difficult it is to play against. I would have rather played against Virginia's defense, I think, than Texas Tech's because of the way Beard's team swarms the basketball. But we get to overtime. And this game deserved overtime. It was such a great After that first 10 minutes, and it was tough to watch, the problem was, and people said, you know, I had somebody text me last night and say, how do these two teams make it? The answer's real simple. They made it because no one can duplicate what they do defensively in practice. You just can't do it. If you could, you would do it yourself. Virginia, the only only people that are going to be able to duplicate what they do is a team like Texas Tech that plays that kind of defense, and Texas Tech the same way. And so they still are not prepared to face somebody who has a defense as formidable as they do. That's what Grant Hill said last night on the broadcast. He's absolutely right. And so it took time for both of these two teams to sort of to settle into what they wanted to do offensively. And credit to both of them for making difficult shots. Now, Texas Tech missed some easy, decent looks early, but you had... Ty Jerome and Hunter and these guys making shots with hands in their faces. And that's what you're going to get when you're playing against Texas Tech or you're playing against a Tony Bennett coached Virginia team. You're not going to get a whole lot of clean looks at the basket. But if you get enough space, Mooney, there was one play in the second half where Ty Jerome backed off like, I would say, half a foot. And as soon as he did, Mooney took the three. Because like, oh, this is more space than I ever expected to have. Because the one thing you know, especially playing against Texas Tech or Virginia, is you are not going to catch the basketball with space to operate. It's either going to have to get out of your hands immediately or you're going to have two other guys around you swiping at it. All these guys are just going after the basketball relentlessly. And notice I have not talked about the call. I am one of the few that still believes that the double dribble not being called is not the real story there. The story is what Ty Jerome said, and even what Bruce Pearl said on Saturday after that no call, which was, yeah, the double dribble, whatever, but we were also, you know, I was something was going to happen there. And what he meant by that was, yeah, my guy was fouling Ty Jerome. We had a foul to give. We had just fouled in the front court, and we were going to do it again. And that's exactly what they did. And the officials did not blow the whistle, and it was that foul that basically led to Ty Jerome losing control of the basketball and the double dribble that wasn't called. So if you're belly aching that the double dribble wasn't called, you need to belly ache fast. And that's the problem. How much back to the future do we have to do here? Do we have to go all the way back to 1955? Or do you just want to go back to the part where you disagreed with something that happened? Because... The double dribble, yes, was a double dribble, but there was a foul before it that was not called. The foul at the end, I need you all to stop telling me this was the same play as Lamonte Turner and Carson Edwards with Purdue and Tennessee. It was not. Kyle Guy still had the basketball in his hand that was going through the shooting motion when his lower body was changed. That affects you mentally. That affects the shot motion physically. That is a foul. You are angry because the double dribble wasn't called. But again, how far do you want to go back? Because something wasn't called earlier. Something wasn't called 10 seconds before, 15 seconds before, 20 seconds before. Officiating is not perfect. And the chorus of people that then came out and said, well, we need replay for stuff like this so we can go back and make the call. No, we don't. I saw Football Zebras tweet out last night after that review that should never have happened. Virginia was gifted that. Anywhere else in the world, that's Texas Tech's basketball. And then they go back and Zapruder film this thing, and Jim Garrison's out there looking to see which direction Kennedy's head moved. And all of a sudden, we find out, well, maybe his pinky touched the ball. And so we're going to give the ball back to Virginia. Virginia was gifted that basketball. And so I said, that's not how replay was designed to be used. And people said, it wasn't designed to get the calls right. It wasn't designed to go microscopically, frame by frame, to see whether or not somebody's fingernail touched the basketball. It was so close, and it was so difficult to even see it. It's almost as if the Texas Tech guard, if he had just trimmed his fingernails, maybe it doesn't touch the basketball. Virginia was gifted that. You might think that Virginia was gifted to win over Auburn when they shouldn't have been. We disagree on that because Ty Jerome should not have double dribbled because he was fouled ahead of time. That doesn't mean that the same thing happens after that and they find Guy in the corner and he makes the three, but it means that the double dribble would not have given the ball back to Auburn had the proper call been made. The proper call would have been UVA taking it out on the side after the foul on Ty Jerome or Jerome going to the line. And that's not how it went down. The call last night was tough. It was, a, it was a tough call to make in that situation, and we go to replay, and I don't think that's what replay was intended to do. And it's not because I don't think replay should get it right. It's because microscopic frame by frame, you can make a lot of things happen that even in half speed, you're not going to be able to tell. And if it takes that much, then the judgment call ultimately probably should be the right call. And this is why the NFL PI rules are going to be potentially problematic because what the NFL has chosen to do. And as long as this is adjudicated properly and it's used rarely or sparingly or just not in every situation overdone, like CFL kind of has a good balance. And as long as we get that, we're going to be fine. But we have decided to change the rule in the NFL based on the single worst call in the history of organized sports in America that was not done intentionally because there was money on the game, like Tim Donahue or something to that effect. This is the worst call we've ever seen. It's also one of the few instances where you can honestly say there is a 0% out there in the public that believes that that was not pass interference in the NFC title game with Rams and Saints. That will never happen again. Maybe, you know what, maybe it will happen again, but it happens so infrequently. And we've changed a rule that now opens up a can of worms to review judgment calls. And when you go back and you go microscopically frame by frame, if you employ replay for PI and DPI the same way that the NCAA employed replay in overtime last night in that Virginia-Texas Tech matchup, there's going to be a whole lot of things that you're not going to like that are going to end being called. So the NFL needs to be awfully careful. And Hail Mary is a completely different animal altogether. There's PI on every Hail Mary play, I think, in the history of the NFL. So they're going to have to, there, there are some real potential problems here. I have said over and over again you cannot live your life based on the worst case scenario. If you did, you would never get on an airplane. You would never drive a car. You would never eat a carb. You would never eat sugar. You would never, ever consider dating anybody. You would never basically do anything but lay in bed and you would have to have something to keep you from falling out of bed. You would never take medicine. You would never drink water because maybe it's tainted or it's got fluoride in it or whatever it might be. You cannot live your life. You cannot base your own rules and regulations for how you exist based on the worst-case scenario. Rules and regulations are designed to even the playing field and to provide recourse for common occurrences. What happened in the NFC title game was not a common occurrence. Saturday, people wanted expanded replay in college basketball. Last night, they replayed something and changed a call that never should have been changed because they went to replay. It is arguable. I will put out there right now. It is arguable that using replay too much is actually worse than using it too little. Less, maybe more in this situation. Texas Tech would probably agree. Much of Twitter, meaning about 13% of the American population or the population watching that game, would agree. This left kind of a sour taste in your mouth. You might think that Virginia shouldn't have beaten Auburn. You might think that Virginia got gifted there and that's what basically swayed the game in their favor even though they outscored Texas Tech 17-9 to in the extra frame. You might think that they are undeserving champions and that it makes you sick, and it makes you hate college basketball, and they've got to fix this, and they got to fix all of these other things. But let me tell you something. Here is what all of that belly aching, and all of that crying, and all of that whining, and all of that wasted space on social media or in your brain, here's what all of that means. The Virginia Cavaliers are the national champions. And that story is just incredible. And I said I want to talk about Rick Barnes and UCLA and Tennessee, and I'm going to. When I come back, I want to talk about Tony Bennett. And I want to talk about Tony Bennett in relation to owning failure and not trying to pass it off, not trying to excuse it, but standing up there and saying, no, this is part of who we are, but it's not the end of our story. Tony Bennett with a lesson that I think anybody at any age can benefit from. And mainly a lesson that worked simply because of what his team did, not because he went out, pumped out his chest. This was class and humility that was paid off in three thrilling basketball games, controversial endings or not, Virginia, your national champions. We'll be right back. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. (laughs) Welcome back. Big six here on 104.5 The Zone. Jason Martin with you as always on Twitter at JMartZone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and yes, worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness. Good news is though, you can rent it. Virginia, your national champions, 85 to 77. I want to talk about Tony Bennett here. I talked about the call off the replay and giving the ball back to Virginia and and replay as a whole as it relates to everything that Virginia's kind of gone through over this last handful of days. But what needs to be mentioned here is the story of redemption and the story of responsibility that Virginia taught us without really even trying other than what they did on the court. Tony Bennett is a very, very classy guy. We know this wears faith on his sleeve, which I certainly appreciate, and members of his team do as well. Members of Texas Tech do as well. Members across all teams. I'm not saying Virginia is you know, any more superior to anybody else, but Virginia makes no bones about it. A lot of their team does. But after the loss to UMBC last year, it would have been so easy to find excuses, to talk about Hunter not playing in that game, to do all sorts of things. But that's not what Tony Bennett did publicly, and it's not what he did behind the scenes back at University Hall in in Charlottesville. Tony Bennett told his team, the message was always the same. We own this. We lost. We are the only number one seed to ever lose to a 16. Something that many believed would never happen. Happened in Stunning fashion, as it wasn't a five-point game or a buzzer beater, it was a total blowout. UMBC got it done. And Tony Bennett told his team, this is part of our legacy. That's the quote that I saw floating around at the time and at the beginning of this season. It's part of our legacy. We own it. We lost. No excuses. No tricks. Just ownership. And then he told his team, it is part of our legacy. It is part of our story. But it's not the end of our story. This season is also part of our legacy. And so his team then went out and they lost three games this season. They went 35 and three and they cut down the nets last night in Minneapolis. Rags to riches like we've never seen. Lose to a 16. Total laughing stock. National champions. 12 months later. There is no better story than this. There will be a 30 for 30. There will be some fantastic books written about this. I would love to write a book about this. There will be movies. I think there will probably be a movie made about this. And the controversy or the razor-thin margin in which Virginia was able to get where they got over these past three games in particular. But if you recall... Gardner-Webb had him at halftime in the first round this year. And they were still a laughing stock. Kyle Guy, after the semifinal win over Auburn, was asked about exercising the demons from a season ago and how does it feel to be here after all of this. And Kyle Guy says, you know what? Not a single interview have I done where that question has not been asked. And all I can tell you is I look forward to you asking me that again on Monday night. Nobody's going to have to ask him that again, other than to basically say, How do you go from worst to first? And that's generally what it was. It's not like Virginia was the worst team, but a number one that loses to a 16, that's something that is historic. They were the first to do it. It'll probably happen again at some point. I don't know. Maybe it won't. But Virginia cut down the Nets. And Tony Bennett's example was we're not going to excuse this. We're not going to push this under the rug and act like it never happened. We're going to own it. We're going to say it's part of God's plan. We're going to say we're going to get better from this, and we're going to come back, and we're going to fight next year. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to find ways to mitigate what happened, to sanitize what happened, to dilute what happened. No, we got our butts kicked. But we also get to come back and play next year. And once that became the mantra, I feel like this team was able to put that behind them. They put it behind them because they didn't forget about it or tried to make it like it didn't matter. It did matter. It was part of the story, and it led to a great redemption moment. And it's just another example of how wherever you are in your life, your station today, is not what your station could be tomorrow. Where you find yourself, as unhappy as you might be in your life right now, don't have the job that you want, maybe aren't in the relationship that you want to be in, your bank account, not very impressive, maybe your credit score is struggling, you're overweight, everything that you thought was going to be true about your life, you thought you were the number one seed and you walked in and life was UMBC if you own that and you put your hope in the right place and you come back and you keep fighting and you don't give up and you realize that where you are right now on Tuesday, April the 9th, 2019 has nothing to do with where you might be on Wednesday, April the 9th, 2020. And that then maybe you can even look back at Tuesday, April the 9th, 2019 as a blessing for the challenges that you endured that helped craft you or make you or put you in the right place or the right frame of mind to be where you needed to be a year from there. I am not – it's hard for me to say this, but I feel like this has to mean more to Kyle Guy and to Hunter and to Jerome and to Tony Bennett and to all of that team. I feel like it means more that they won last night after what happened to them last year than it would have meant for them to have won all of it last year. I feel like the loss made all of this triumph that much more rewarding. And that's the message that I feel like anybody at any age can benefit from. I laid out a lot of things just now that apply to adults. But if you're sitting there with a D average, or whatever it is that might be going on in your life as a kid, that's, again, everything, look, the past is prologue. There is still a lot of that book that's got to be written. Everything is part of your legacy, positive and negative. And it's such a wonderful thing to know that the story isn't over. And so Virginia's story did not end with a throttling at the hands of Maryland-Baltimore County and we will forever remember UMBC because of what they did and because of how funny their social media was. And that was a really cool story. And so they had their moment last year. And Virginia had to suffer through some shame. And they had to suffer through some embarrassment. And then all they did was come back and they won the national championship. And Tony Bennett was right there last night to congratulate Texas Tech. And Chris Beard was incredibly respectful in his comments after the game. Those two teams played their guts out. They're diving for loose balls. Everything mattered. And it's one of the reasons why college sports is so much better than pro more often than not. It's because it just feels like the emotion is different. This was a wonderful sporting event. But I feel like the winner just made it a better story that we can then extrapolate and actually try to find use for in our actual lives. So much of what we watch in sports is futile in that, look, Virginia won the national championship last night. Next year, somebody else probably will 10 years from now. A lot of people won't remember that Virginia beat Texas tech for the national title. Sports will continue. More games will be played next week. There's always another year, but the, the lessons that you can learn from Tony Bennett not letting his team just sit there and excuse away what happened last year. Similar to Johnny Dawkins and what he said to his Central Florida team after the layup rolled off the rim twice in a row against Duke that would have beaten them and how hard that was for that team. Those young men that listened to Johnny Dawkins who clearly loved them and cared for them and knew how hard they had worked and knew how hurt they were but was honest with them those guys are going to be better off. And I feel like Virginia's better off for the adversity that they faced last year. It's really easy to skip through life and run around and be super excited when everything is going right. The path to wisdom that, that I am seeing from guys like Tony Bennett and Johnny Dawkins is in recognizing the hidden blessing that comes from the opposite. Seeing the adversity, the challenges, and the trials as invitations to something greater later. And that's what we got from Virginia. And this was a great story. And I'm happy for him. I really am. And, you know, I grew up going to Virginia games, football mainly, with my dad and with one of our family friends and his daughter. Lived in Virginia. I was a Cavaliers fan. I wanted to go to Virginia so badly my whole life and then math got in the way and said, yeah, you're not going to be very good at this. So Virginia is probably going to be out of your range and we're going to move you out of state, which makes it even tougher. So I never got to go to the University of Virginia as I had, had dreamed of my whole life. A lot of friends that I went to high school with or pardon me, went to uh, primary school with did. And so I was able to be happy for them last night. And I was certainly happy for John Glennon and for a lot of other folks out there. I was also happy for my dad. I don't know exactly how much he roots for Virginia these days. I know I'm sure he roots for Western Kentucky as he lives in Bowling Green along with my mom, and and I went there and graduated from there. But I, I felt last night watching Virginia win that national championship, I just felt happy for dad because I remember us watching John Crotty and Bryant Stith and Curtis Staples and so many guys through the years wearing that Cavaliers uniform, just like Sean Moore and Herman Moore and all of the crew that played football under George Welch. It was George Welch and Terry Holland. That's who I grew up with. And then came Jeff Jones. And, you know, Virginia would always be the team that, man, you know what, they're pretty good, but they're probably going to let you down. They're not going to win a championship, but it's not going to be the most awful team to follow. Last night, finally, the Cavaliers won, and I immediately just thought of thought of being lucky enough to have gone and attended those games and making that long walk to Scott Stadium after parking and taking a shuttle with my dad and his closest friend years ago when I was too young to appreciate just how blessed I was to have those opportunities. So congratulations to the Virginia Cavaliers. A message that I think we all should heed. Your station in life today is not necessarily your station in life tomorrow. It's how we react to those challenges and how we're able to view them that determines whether or not we learn from them and whether or not we can eventually view them as blessings. We'll be right back. I've got thoughts on Rick Barnes staying at Tennessee next. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Happy Tuesday to you. Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Blessed, as always, to be here behind this microphone talking to you. My name is Jason Martin. If you don't don't know me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Rick Barnes is staying at Tennessee, and he was certainly courted by UCLA, as was John Calipari and a number of other guys that have recognizable names. And it led to a lot of local businesses in Knoxville reaching out and offering... You know, free food for life and all these kinds of things To Rick Barnes for staying because of what he was able to accomplish and how he's built this program and the, the classy way that he's done it, the dignified way that Rick Barnes has sort of built this program down in Knoxville. And that led me to tweet, and some people didn't like it, asserting that Rick Barnes leaving for UCLA, even though I think he made the right decision in staying at Tennessee for who he is especially, UCLA is far and beyond a better job or a better place for basketball than Tennessee. And so people that are Vols fans did not care for that. I saw some people saying this is a top 12 job now in the country. I think that's insane. I know they were number one in attendance. I know everybody got behind this team and loved this team. Tennessee does not have a basketball history that comes even anywhere near UCLA. John Wooden, even without John Wooden, they won in 95. I know that there was problems around that. They also made three consecutive Final Fours one coach ago. You can recruit to L.A. You're living in L.A. That's usually a draw. I don't think it's a draw for someone like Rick Barnes in this case. And I looked at it and said, especially when you look at the coaching ranks in the Pac-12 and in the SEC, if you want to win – Going to the Pac-12 seems like a much easier place to win right now than the SEC, and it just got that much more difficult with Buzz Williams going to Texas A&M. And good job, by the way, by Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech lost Buzz Williams. I think we all saw that coming. We knew that they were going to throw a ton of money at him. He had history there. It's a great hire by A&M. But Virginia Tech landed on their feet and grabbed the Wofford coach, a guy that I'm kind of surprised would ever leave Wofford. But Virginia Tech's going to be just fine, I think. I mean, you never know because he's stepping into a completely different animal joining the ACC, but that's a really nice sort of fallback hire that Virginia Tech was able to make. This was not like some huge step down that they lost Buzz Williams. It was a big step up for A&M, big step up for the SEC. And you've got Alabama grabbing Nate Oates out of Buffalo. These are two mid-major guys, the one that went to Virginia Tech from Wofford and certainly Nate Oates leaving Buffalo after all the wins that he gave them and the win that they got over Arizona and number one pick DeAndre Ayton a year ago in the NCAA tournament. Stockhouse is sort of an... Look, it's a... It's is strange. I talked about it last Monday on the Big Six when this news broke, when John Rothstein put out his comments and Jeff Goodman backed him up as well saying Stackhouse was likely to be Vanderbilt's next head coach. And there were a couple of people that called and I said, I don't know what to make of this. And I laid out his resume. I don't know how much – I can't sit here and talk about Jerry Stackhouse as the hire for Vanderbilt because I don't know, nor do you. So I'm not going to sit here for the entire hour and just continue to reiterate to you how much I don't know about what Jerry Stackhouse is going to be able to do. I can tell you that he won the 2017 D League or G League championship. I can tell you that Memphis said that he was great at player development. I can tell you how smart an individual he is, how great his basketball IQ he is. or or how great his basketball IQ is. I can tell you these things. But then I've just got to say, we got to wait and see. It could turn out to be an inspired hire from Malcolm Turner. could turn out to be an unmitigated disaster. This is an unproven commodity. So it's a waste of my time and yours to sit here and bloviate about it. I could take your calls, but I'm just going to keep saying exactly the same thing over and over again. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But what I do know is this. Rick Barnes outside of when he was at Providence has coached at football schools. Yes, 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 I know. Tennessee, a football school, that's hilarious. They won five games. Ha ah, They have football tradition. Neyland Stadium, Philip Fulmer, we know this. Where has Rick Barnes done the vast majority of his coaching? Clemson, South Carolina, football school. Texas, football school. Tennessee, yes, football school. So, when you're there, and remember you had Kevin Durant at Texas and didn't get out of the first weekend. He's made it to one Final Four. These are things that need to be taken into consideration. If you make it to the Sweet 16 at Clemson, they're going to be over the moon. You make it to the Sweet 16 at Texas most years, they're going to be pretty satisfied. Tennessee, when we asked the question after they got bounced by Purdue, was this a successful season? The vast majority of you replied to me on Twitter at jmartzone and said, absolutely, a great team, loved watching this team, total success. I disagreed. I thought it was basically on serve. It was breaking even because this was a team that was number one in the country for four weeks this season and did not make it to the Elite Eight. I felt like Elite Eight, then you can call it a success because then you're probably playing the number one team in the country or the number one team at least in that side of the bracket in Virginia. If you get beat by Virginia, that's, that's one thing. But not being able to get to the Elite Eight, to lose to the number one as a number two, to me, that was not achieving as much with the talent that you had. But if you go to UCLA and you have the exact same season that Tennessee just had, and you get bounced by Purdue in the Sweet 16, that is a failure. They expect more. They are like Nebraska football Notre Dame football, before Brian Kelly started winning, they expect to be in contention every year because unlike the state of Tennessee, and I know there's a lot of great high school teams, a lot of great high school prospects, and this state is not a bad basketball state. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that California's basketball crazed. L.A. is run by the Los Angeles Lakers. Then come the Los Angeles Dodgers, and then maybe you get to USC football. But when UCLA basketball is rolling... You can sometimes place UCLA basketball above USC football. It is a basketball town first. It is a basketball school without any question first. All due respect to Chip Kelly and everybody that came before him. Doesn't mean they can't win in football. Doesn't mean they can't have a great quarterback in Josh Rosen or any number of great players through the years. It means that basketball matters to them. So getting to the Sweet 16 is a minimum expectation it's not a successful season. It is, we're not going to burn effigy of you on campus. So Rick Barnes, who gets to Sweet 16s a decent amount of time, has only made it to one Final Four in all the time that he's been coaching, has been in environments that, honestly, folks, are not that pressure-filled. So when UCLA offers him the farm, or offers him $5 million and he turns it down to stay at Tennessee, he's making the right decision. Because I don't think Rick Barnes is that great a head coach. He's a great regular season head coach, but he made some head-scratching decisions when it came to personnel once we got to the tournament. He's not been a great tournament head coach. When Rick Barnes went up against Matt Painter, you were looking at two guys that had both sort of struggled and had sort of the same knock, except Painter's a lot younger than Rick Barnes is. Rick Barnes staying in Knoxville? Knoxville's going to love it. They came out of the woodwork trying to make sure he stayed over the last 24 hours when this thing rolled. And then UCLA goes and grabs Mick Cronin, the longtime Cincinnati coach. And look, that's fine. It's not a great hire. I'm sure it's not going to excite UCLA that much. But they got turned down by Calipari, who used them to get that lifetime deal out of Kentucky. There's no reason to leave Kentucky for UCLA. There's really not, unless he just wants to live in Los Angeles. But at this point, I mean, he's got a factory there in Kentucky, and the SEC is where you want to be if you're a great coach that wants a challenge. Pac-12. Lost some good guys, replaced them with nobody. SEC gets Nate Oates. Yes, they do get Jerry Stackhouse. We don't know what that is going to be. They're able to maintain Rick Barnes. They add Buzz Williams. The SEC is loaded. It is the coaching conference. Big Ten's really good. ACC's really good. Depth-wise, SEC has the best coaching in the country in college basketball, I think. Maybe you can argue otherwise. So Rick Barnes is going to stay around. Grant Williams will see what happens. Admiral, of course, is gone. Jordan Bone has declared, this is going to be a different team, but he's got some decent recruits coming back, and he's building a program where the pressure just simply isn't that great because they're not going to lose their minds in Knoxville. None of you are going to lose your minds when they lose in the Sweet 16. At UCLA, that loss to Purdue, that would have been curtains in the eyes of a lot of alumni out there. They have run off some talented guys out there. They have chewed them up and spit them out. Coaching basketball in Los Angeles at UCLA, because of the history and the legacy, is the equivalent of leaving a small market and going to be the quarterback of the New York Giants and losing a couple of games in a row and dealing with the media and the fan backlash that comes from that. Knoxville's a nice place to be. Great facilities, awesome athletic director, super fan base. And you do have an opportunity to win in a conference that seems to be getting better and better. Rick Barnes made the right decision. He was not made for LA. But don't tell me that UCLA is not a more elite job in college basketball than Tennessee. I think Tennessee low-key might be the better job because of expectations and because of what you can build it into. But UCLA, when they're rolling, Tennessee doesn't have a chance against that. But Rick Barnes made the right call. Final segment next. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. segment of the program the big six here on 104.5 the zone finishing up on a tuesday i'm jason martin we're brought to you by renter's warehouse dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate renting your home without having to do the hard stuff renter's warehouse they are the rent estate company i'm on twitter at Jmartzone. you can follow me there a lot of people sending me comments still a little pro and con here on the way out the door something i like something i hate one thing I like happened on Sunday, it was WrestleMania thirty-five. We had a watch party here in this building to benefit hashtag Team 1045 in the leukemia and lymphoma society as he is uh finishing up his campaign. It's gonna end here at the end of April, trying to raise as much money as he can. And all of you that were able to come out for that, we had a great time. Thanks to Papa John's and Green Hills for providing the food and beverages for us. You guys are so well behaved. We just sat there and enjoyed a the show. There was no problem all night long. Super successful event. Bigger turnout than we expected. Everybody that came donated 25 bucks to the cause. It was just awesome. But during that show, which ran forever, Kofi Kingston became the first true African American to become WWE world champion. And he tweeted out about that. And Xavier Woods, who I used to know a little bit when he was Austin Creed down in Georgia, we were working together at a couple of different promotions. And so happy to see what he's become because he's such a good guy. And the world needs more like him. All three of these guys, the New Day, Big E, Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston seem to be really upstanding dudes. And I felt so happy for Kofi Kingston. One thing you might not know is a couple of years ago, the New Day did an interview and Big E and Xavier Woods said their entire goal, what they wanted to do, what they wanted to find a way to do through the New Day was to get their buddy who had been in the company for such a long time, Kofi Kingston, to the main event, to the world championship. they actually were able to pull that off. It seemed like it was insanity when they said it and they pulled it off. And you could say this is a pro and a con. The pro is that what I told you, making history, Bofi Kingston becoming the first black heavyweight champion, true black heavyweight champion, and what that means and what it proves to all those people in the business and any business that think that there's some kind of a ceiling that, you know, there is always got to be a little bit of hope there. And so it was a great moment, and Kofi's celebrating with his kids, and this whole run came from nowhere. The fans got behind him, and they Vince McMahon actually listened to him and put him in the match, and Daniel Bryan and him tore the house down. Kofi won that thing clean, and the celebration was a beautiful thing. It was impossible not to get emotional watching that. Yes, I saw, and people that I respect in this industry said, i got to remind you that pro wrestling's fake. Yeah, we get it. That actually made this even better. Because that meant somebody actually made a decision to pick Kofi Kingston. So there's the pro. Congratulations to Kofi. 11 years in the industry. A lot of it doing almost nothing. Finds something that he loves with his friends. The New Day becomes one of the most popular acts in the company. They sell tons of merchandise. They make so many kids happy. They make people laugh. And then he achieves a dream that he probably never even thought possible. Nor did the two guys that have been his running buddies for the last few years. Back to the Tony Bennett Virginia thing. Your station in life today does not dictate your station in life tomorrow. Kofi Kingston is another example of that. Now for the con. The people on social media that tried to like shrug their shoulders and just say it doesn't matter what kind of history that he made. Cool that he won the championship, but stop with this whole He's the first black heavyweight champion and trying to throw shade at that. Or trying to throw shade at the fact that Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair main-evented as women for the first time in WrestleMania history in 35 years. It's never happened before. And just saying that it doesn't matter and stop getting on your high horse and trying to turn this into an agenda thing. Here's what I want to tell you. I've said this before, but this is a mantra that you should keep keep in mind for your life. Social media is not mandatory. If you believe some of the stuff that I just sort of mocked. You don't have to say it. It is okay in this world to just stay quiet and let other people be happy or to stay quiet and just let other people be inspired by something that happens that maybe you didn't agree with or that didn't fit whatever your narrative was. I don't care what your political persuasion is. I don't care what your opinion is it does not matter if other people are happy about something that does not directly affect your life in a negative way or isn't a bad thing then wouldn't it be cool just to let them celebrate that and let that be okay and let them enjoy that moment and let that inspire them or motivate them in their own lives or just make them think or just make them simply congratulate this guy who just achieved something historic Or these three women that just achieved something historic. Not everything has to be about an agenda on either side. While you're sitting there saying, lay off your agenda, it was just a wrestling match. You are putting forth your agenda. And you don't recognize it. It's so easy to point the finger at somebody else and not see it in yourself. We're all guilty of it. I am guilty of it. But I'm telling you. I was ready to jump for joy. I clapped like everybody in that room on Sunday at our performance studio when Kofi Kingston won that championship and when Becky Lynch won that championship. We were all super excited. It meant something. And to a segment of this population, it meant something more. And you know what? That, ladies and gentlemen, is awesome. You don't need to throw shade. Just stay quiet and let those people that want to use that as a positive message use it as a positive message. We are far too cynical, far too negative, and far too ready to try and throw ice water on a fire. Congratulations to Kofi Kingston for making history. It's awesome. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.